Good afternoon, KPFK listeners. Today is the last Monday of 2010. Welcome to Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris, here with you most Mondays at 2 p.m. with radio realities from the urban landscape. On today's show, we want to wrap up the year with a review of what our dedicated producers and you, our appreciated listeners, felt were the most impactful stories that we've covered since we launched Here in the City in September. If you listen regularly, we thank you. And you've probably noticed that our show focuses mostly on the environment, arts, education, and culture in and around Los Angeles. Most of the stories that we picked for today as we wrap up the year have to do with the economy. Why? Well, we've been thinking a lot about what this show should do. What do we need in Southern California that a little radio show with a lot of voices can offer? And we landed on this community and equality in the urban environment. Our goal with Here in the City is to map the city through sound-rich profiles of people living and working toward creative social change and solutions. One way we do that as journalists and producers is working with community stakeholders who have important stories to tell. Tandi Shimorenga is a Here in the City contributor who bridges that space between community stakeholder and journalist. She covers African-American public affairs, and she co-hosts and produces Some of Us Are Brave here on KPFK. I asked Tandi why she does the work that she does, and here's what she said. I got into journalism through activism. I uh, always understood the power of media and, but I never called myself a journalist because I believed the hype that was put out that journalists are supposed to be uh, unbiased, fair, and objective. And oddly enough, it was through my exposure to news at KPFK that I understood I am a journalist. That, yes, I can report the facts and have an opinion. Just don't mix the two. Uh, I can choose. I have the power to choose what stories I cover, what stories that I believe are important, Uh, are being neglected. And so when I do that, that is a form of activism for me, not allowing my agenda or my radar to be dictated by mainstream press. Just because they're following uh, what's happening in the news doesn't mean I have to follow it. I can look behind that or look in a whole nother direction. Maybe uh, that's a smokescreen anyway, to keep people's minds off of uh, a more pressing issue or an issue I believe that's to be pressing. So I, I proudly claim the word journalist and bias in the same uh, breath. And, uh, you know, it, it, what's important to me are, are usually those stories that I try to go for. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for my community? I'm Sarah Harris. We're here in the city with... Time to see his way, Shimmeringa. Who is a contributor to Here in the City. Stay tuned. We'll be back. This is Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in China Lake. An archive of our show is available at hereinthecity.org. That's H-E-A-R in the city.org. The housing and construction frenzy that fueled the U.S. economy during the first decade of this century has since died down. 
According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the number of people employed in construction has dropped from 11 million in 2007 to 9 million today. Construction jobs that are seasonal in most parts of the U.S. are a constant engine of the economy here in Southern California because of the, well, usually mild weather. On Here in the City, we've made a commitment to paying attention to organizations that strive to make the workforce more diverse, more dynamic, and more equal. One of those organizations is Winter, an independent nonprofit organization founded by a group of tradeswomen who wanted to extend job opportunities to women in communities with less access to employment training and education. Winter stands for Women in Nontraditional Employment Roles. Here in the city, producer Luis Sierra Campos visited a workshop where 19 women from the ages of 18 to 40 are learning engineering and construction jobs. He spoke to pre-apprentice coordinator Berta Campos about the value of training women to do jobs usually done by men. Being a professional in a blue-collar career ties into any career. The focus is for them to be aware that they're not going to go to a traditional job interview. You know, they're not applying for a receptionist. And it's not a job. It's Again, it's a career. The way that they look, the way that they present themselves, even their form of speaking, you know, gets tailored here. And that's the thing about winter. It's unique in, in, in many formats because... It doesn't matter what has been in their past. It's the current, the present, that is going to make them a great candidate. We're kind of like a mini boot camp. If we see that a participant is just not being proactive, they're, they're not taking the training for what it is, you know, which is very serious. You have to be here every day. You got to be on time. Not only that, you have to participate. You know, and the reason why is because when they go out there, that's the one thing that the employer is going to want. They want a reliable worker. Uh, they don't want a worker that's always going to have drama in their life. They're not going to be able to, to be there for X, Y, and Z. And, you know, when an employer hires even a part-time employee, they want them to be there for the time that they're hiring them. You know, so, so winter molds them. When they get out of the training, they not only have various valuable certifications, but they also get introduced to what would be a hands-on career. This untraditional career path for women could be a different approach for stability in this uncertain economy. Minimum wage right now is, I think, $8, and the electrical apprenticeship program starts an applicant at $14.54 an hour. And that's just to start with no experience needed. Um, their program, the, the um, inside wireman program for the electricians, because they have three, the inside wireman program for the electricians is five years long, um, and they, you start at fourteen fifty four an hour, and you top off at thirty six fifty four an hour within five years. I don't know any job where you know that you're going to get an increment, you know, gradually, and it's lateral. It's not you start at fourteen for five years, then you go to thirty seven. No, um, again, it's a union apprenticeship program, so their bylaws is after every one thousand hours, they get five percent of an increment of what a journeyman makes. Do you think that that's something like uh, a, a goal for your participants to aspire to, like to actually go for the one that pays the most? Yes and no. We always want them to go for the, they, one, uh, another thing that we target is we want them to assess themselves, assess their likes and their, and their dislikes. And even though it sounds great to make the most, 
it would be better to be where wherever they would love to be the most because any apprenticeship program is going to pay them between 35 to 39 dollars an hour so it's just about choosing the one that they want the one that they would love to do for 20 to 40 years down the road for here in the city i'm luis sierra campos Almost all of our stories on Here in the City intersect with the economy. In October, we did a whole show about debt, both personal and public. Jerry Brown is ready to sit down behind the governor's desk in Sacramento for a second run at the job. As he does, California is looking at a possible $28 billion shortfall in the budget. The U.S. deficit is in the trillions of dollars now. And personal debt, well... It is not improving much, and it's very much tied to the housing crisis. Los Angeles County led the country in mortgage fraud and was the third highest in foreclosures when we first aired this next story that we're going to hear. Luis Sierra Campos takes us to visit Elba Salazar, one of the nearly 100,000 people who attended a workshop at the Los Angeles Convention Center back in October because they were in danger of losing their homes. Elba Salazar from Burbank, California, is a typical case of someone who wants to keep her home but needs help renegotiating with her mortgage lender. And I have tried to do with the bank, but they really haven't helped me. How, what, how does your mortgage look like? Right now, very expensive. How much are you? Uh, 4000 How big is your house? Can you describe me your, your house? Oh, the house is a three-bedroom and is in a good area, that's true. But when we bought it, it was three of us working. Now it's only two of us. And that's, that's what I have my hardship. The house hasn't lost the value, but I think uh, we were misled into a, a loan that we couldn't afford from the beginning, that we shouldn't have had. For most, homeownership is symbolic of the American dream. Fernando Guerra, political scientist from the University of Loyola Marymount, explains why this is so. Listen, we created a whole culture that says that uh, for you to be successful in America, you must own a home. That, that the, I mean, we even tie it to the quote-unquote the American dream. What is the epitome of the American dream? is to own a home. Uh, and then we created the opportunity for people to be able to own those homes uh, and, and said, hey, here, here's your opportunity. So everybody had to leap at it. it. It's just, you've been socialized, you've been indoctrinated about that. Uh, and you're willing to do, you know, your whole goal your, and, as an adult in economic life was to be able to f- afford a home. And so it was presented to you by the banks, by the whole system, People had to jump at it. And a lot of people try to say, look, a lot of these people knew what they were getting into and they signed it. Okay? But you got to remember at the time, everybody was saying, home prices are going through the roof. If you don't sign now, you will never own a home. So basically, you were being told, if you're not, if you don't get a home now, you will forever be a loser. You will forever be outside the economic system. Because a second part of the American dream is that you will ultimately become middle class and be part of that. 
We're back in Elba Salazar's garden, which is hers, worry-free for the next three months, as she ensures the bank that she is capable of making payments suitable for her. My goal right now was to stop him from selling my house, because my house was on the, on the market. It was going to be sell, in, like an action. You know, and that's, at that moment, you know, I didn't think 2800 I said, I don't care. I am not going to pay anything else. I will pay my house. I want you to stop the sale. And then she said, yeah, it is. You know, the foreclosure stopped. And they don't stop it completely, but they stop. It, it stops for three months. And after January, they will reevaluate. But most likely, she said, you will qualify. And the 2800 it includes my taxes, my insurance. Before, you know, it was 4000 So from 4000 to 2800 I'm happy. I guess, you know, I couldn't ask for anything else or a better. For now, nothing, nothing better is good. This is good. That night I slept so well. I was, oh my God, I feel so relieved. I, something I had not done in almost a year now. For here in the city, I'm Luis Sierra Campos. That's Nina Simone with the Backlash Blues, written for her by Langston Hughes. At a performance this October at the Red Cat Theater, Mr. Dwight Tribble revised those lyrics. Quote, you raise my taxes, freeze my wages, and send my son to Afghanistan. Mr. Tribble sang. Those words ring true today, 40 years on, and at that gig at the Red Cat, the headliner was a man who has made a comeback after a long pause in a winding career. Arts, music, and film critic for here in the city, Jesse Lerner, has this tribute to Mr. Henry Grimes. This past fall, Los Angeles was the site of two performances by the accomplished septuagenarian improviser, Henry Grimes a man whose biography illustrates the toll that economic hardships can extract on the arts. The versatile, Juilliard-trained jazz bassist was much in demand as a sideman in the late 1950s and 1960s, performing and recording with everyone from Albert Eiler to Coleman Hawkins, from Benny Goodman to Cecil Taylor. When Charles Mingus needed a second bassist, he hired Henry Grimes. Here's Grimes performing on the Frank Wright Trio's 1966 debut recording, on ESP Records, a track called The Moon. Never a headliner, and rarely a band leader, Grimes's musical rigor, fat sound, and technical virtuosity meant that he was always busy, in the recording studio, on the bandstand, and at music festivals. But when his bass broke on a 1967 trip to California, he found himself stranded, without his instrument, and penniless. He spent more than 30 years living in an SRO hotel in downtown Los Angeles, working as a handyman when he could find work, writing poetry, completely disconnected from the world of music. A jazz magazine reported that he had died. 
In 2002, a social worker coaxed Grimes into taking up the bass again. Fellow musician William Parker saw to it that Grimes got another instrument, and after some intense practice, Grimes has been performing again ever since. Here he is on a 2008 recording of duets with the late percussionist Rashid Ali. Grimes' story might remind us of a schmaltzy Hollywood film. Think of The Soloist. But the real lessons here are less uplifting and heartwarming. For every fortuitous comeback, how many musicians, artists, and writers are forever lost? And while we're grateful to have Grimes and his music with us again now, how do we measure the loss that those three decades represent? When income becomes the ultimate barometer of artistic merit, and the barrier that excludes talents in our midst. Our cultural life suffers. Grimes's biography teaches us that finance can suffocate the arts as well as facilitate them. listening to Here in the City, I'm Sarah Harris. We're wrapping up the year with some highlights from our show. Most of the stories have to do with economy and equality in the urban environment. Just last week, we aired this little public transit reality check from Here in the City's resident reporter and stand-up comedian, King Anye Howell. He left a message for me on my voicemail after a night of missed buses and a lot of walking. Hey, Sarah, this is Anya. Can I tell you this about this long walk I had to take to a show? I know it's so late now. I know you're not listening, but, man, this is crazy. Uh, so I leave my house. I live in Inglewood. This show is in Chatsworth. I'm hoping it's the L.A. Opus. It's going to be mad crazy, like art, rock, and I'm hosting it. I'm the host. So I leave the house extra early. I don't know, but this I seen three buses go this way. I know it was supposed to come at 602. At least one bus that didn't come because three of them went this way while I've been standing here. Dang. Three. Approaching Hollywood and Highland, followed by Hollywood and Los Palmas. Line 212. Hey, what's up, man? What's up? The next stop is North Hollywood. The transfer point from the Metro Orange Line. Boarding platform is located upstairs and across the street. Somewhere on the orange line, I figure the show is on Canoga. I might as well walk. Can't be that far. Got off the Orange Line Metro, and uh, I guess my, my bus I was going to catch 
to this show I'm hosting tonight, the LA Opus. Uh, the last one runs at 7:21. Let's see, man. I got off, got off the bus at about 8:05, 8 o'clock or so. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm gonna have to walk it out on Canoga all the way to the event. What, 34, 34 blocks? About 34 blocks. I got here it was what, 6,900 block of Canoga. I'm finna step it out to the 100 block right now. Right now, I think I'm on the, yeah, I'm on the 78 block. So I came about 13 blocks so far. Got about 22 left. All right, baby. We're here. 120. My goodness. Yeah, Chatsworth is real spread out and desolate looking. Uh, it was a real epic journey. I think um, a lot of introspection happened. There was a dead body on the way. It was a dead cat, but, you know, I felt like it was a miniature movie. Uh, I finally did get to the show, though. Uh, they had already brought the first band on, but, you know, it was a warm-up band, and then they introduced me, you know, as well. I go by King Anye. Um Last me, what are you the king of? It's nothing really glamorous, really just the king of getting pulled over. Um, I don't even drive a car, yet I still get pulled over like a fleece hoodie at the Gap. Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, we're drinking in the house, we're getting drinks. We're all good. Everybody out here from the Valley? Yeah. Okay, I got emphatic yeses and emphatic noes. <laughs> like, some people were very proud to be from the Valley and some people were very proud not to be. What's going on? Um, this is hella funny. Uh, I actually walked uh, four and a half miles to get here. It sucked. I should get a car. That's very good advice. You should get a car. I had a car. I, I left it in my other jeans. Is what happened to my yeah. That, that's, you know how you forget to change shit in your pockets at that month. But no, it was funny uh, on the way up here while I was walking. Uh, it wasn't even a walk. It was really an epic journey. It was discovery. <laughs> Uh, I discovered a dead body on the way, uh, there was, you know, uh, introspection, a lot of that reflection. But uh, I was like thinking like, man, I'm out here in Chatsworth, like this, this is a dead city, like it's really just like industrial warehouses. I think it totally took me a total like three hours, but I did make it home safe. I will say that, you know, uh, always get home safe even if I have to walk back, you know? But uh, yeah, that's what happened to me out here in the city. This is King Anya, you know. You gotta put one foot in front of the other sometimes, you know, or else you won't get there at all, and that's just not an option. King Anya, walking and talking. He'll be at the Improv this Thursday night at 8 p.m. Check out our website, hereinthecity.org, for details. That's H-E-A-R in the city.org. Wrapping up the year, we're committed to community and equality in the urban environment. We live in Southern California, and we often struggle with our relationship to the natural environment here. So for our final segment on Here in the City, let's go to the beach after a little break. It's here in the city. I'm Sarah Harris. Let's take a trip to the beach. We're going out to the corner of Admiralty Way and Via Marina 
with my daughter. My name is Minerva. We're at the beach today. I'm having fun. And with my mom, we're going to look at the sharks. You heard right. Sharks in the water. And we are going to walk into the water with those sharks. Is it dangerous? Uh, leopard sharks are very docile. James Haw heads the Environmental Studies Program at USC and who is an avid scuba diver and snorkeler and who has been in the water with the leopard sharks, says don't worry about it. Uh, they tend to travel in groups. Uh, you'll very often see uh, the females uh, together in some of the shallow sandy coves uh, trying to stay in the warmer uh, waters to help with uh, the gestation of their young. And I suspect that that's probably part of what's going on uh, in Marina del Rey. We just heard about the uh, water bus that we got on over at the Fisherman's Village. And right where you get off, we just noticed there's a bunch of people in the water. And uh, we waited out there and saw that there looks like sand sharks or leopard sharks. And there's some little stingrays. They're really cute. You want to go out and see them? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I've seen them as as large as six feet, that's unusually large for a leopard shark, and they start looking a bit imposing at that size. Usually they'll be three to five feet, and they are much more afraid of you than you should be afraid of them. They will do nothing to harm you at all. And read at that diamond. That's probably five foot. And Actually, they're all about five, anywhere from four and a half to five. There's a stingray right there. Do you see the little one right there? Don't be scared. Okay, I'll follow you. They're truly beautiful, beautiful creatures to see. They eat crabs, clams, small bony fish, and, you know, various little things that they find uh, in the sand. Now, if their teeth are strong enough to bite through a crab, shouldn't I be afraid about my toes? Uh, I think you would have to, uh, you would have to put your, put your finger in, a, in the mouth of a leopard shark and squeeze down on its jaws to get it to bite you. But they, but sharks do not bite. They're not going to bite me? Yeah. Will they rub up against me? That they haven't done. Um, but But when you do look, walk out, yeah. kind of shuffle your feet a little bit because there are lots of stingrays around here. And, and if you step on it and it flips out underneath your foot, you'll freak out. Are those fish? I think they're leopard sharks. They can be harmful because you guys are in the water. Right? Why are they so in so close inland? The uh, leopard sharks tend to give birth uh, in, in April and May. Uh, unlike the great white shark, leopard sharks do not migrate over great distances. They remain very local. In terms of why it's different this year, there's a lot of things that are different this year in the coastal waters. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the water temperatures have been quite a bit cooler uh, this year than they normally are. Did you go close to them? Yes. What was that like? It was awesome. Ooh. We were over there and this guy comes running over and goes, Aren't you going to go see the sharks? They're just swimming around? <laughs> Yeah, they're not bothering anybody, so we decided to come up. <laughs> a little skeptical, right? <laughs> I know, we were taught that we're supposed to stay away from them, and here we are all running towards them. I got my kid out there, right by the shore. Mommy! <laughs> oh, Bobby. I, I, I just saw a shark. And that's it for Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris, bringing in the new. 
Many thanks to Claire Robbins, Sabiha Khan, Esperanza Barajas, Mayra Jimenez, Tandi Shimorenga, King Anye, Jesse Lerner, and Luis Sierra Campos for producing and reporting the show. Thanks to D'Angelo for engineering, and be well and do good work. Happy 2011. Peace. <laughs>